G'day mate, welcome to episode 47 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about recovery. Then we're talking about Strava fever. Are you segment hunting and is it having a negative impact on your training? We're going to have an intervention and then we're going to talk about fueling for a half marathon. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. G'day mate, welcome to episode 47 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. I'm Maddie Graham and it is so good to have you here for this episode I have been a little absent of late, my apologies, I have been, one, sick, got a real weird sort of viral thing, really high temperatures and then the usual snuffy nose and sore throat and coughing and the rest of it, so I'm climbing out of that hole at the moment, uh, as well as being bogged down with a bit of work that I have been doing, so apologies for not getting an episode out to you uh, in the last few weeks. What's been happening in your world? What are you training for at the moment? Leave a comment below. Tell me what you are training for at the moment. What's the big goal that you have in mind? Also, remember, if you have any questions about training-related topics or things you'd like to see on the podcast, post them in the comment section below as well. Or, even better still, send me a voice message over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask. Leave me a voice message over there and I will send you through a free Performance Temple Handbook package. If you want good quality structured training plans without the price tag of personalized training, then check out the wide range of training plans over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. There are specific plans for specific races and events and also general plans that you can use for plugging in to different events as a little bit of an example of the types of plans over there we've got a marathon training plan a mountain bike enduro plan half marathon training plan time saver cycling plan if you've got minimal time but you want to get maximal results a hundred mile mountain bike race plan coast to coast training plan pioneer mountain bike plan as well if you can't find what you're looking for as in a plan to help you reach your goal let me know what you're training for and what sort of plans you would like to see over on the exponential performance coaching website and i'll do my best for you so that's enough from me let's get into recovery So recovery. Everything that I talk about uh, in terms of recovery here is coming from the Performance Temple Handbook. And you can get your free introductory copy of that over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com. It's a 28-page ebook that you can download. And then this is one of the pillars, one of the four pillars. There will be a link to all of these resources over in the show notes at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 47 if you want to check those out. So, recovery. Here we go. From the Performance Temple. 
handbook. No doubt you have heard that recovery is just as important as your training. While this is a statement that is made time and time again by coaches, sports scientists and training experts, it is still one of the principles of training that is overlooked and neglected. When you train, you are actually putting a stress on your body that breaks it down and causes damage. It is then following your training during your recovery that your body is able to repair, rebuild and adapt to the training. It is this recovery and adaptation process in which your performance improves. Then there's a little bit of an equation. It's called the performance equation. Smart training plus adequate recovery equals improved performance. And then there's a wee diagram about this showing that your performance decreases during your training session and then during your recovery it increases and a super compensation effect happens meaning that your performance super compensates and gets better than your performance initially. When the word recovery is mentioned athletes tend to run in fear thinking that recovery means that they have to do nothing and that will, ne that will negatively impact their performance. First things first, when done properly recovery does not negatively affect training, it improves it. And secondly, recovery is not just doing nothing. During times of recovery, some of the key things that are occurring in your body are the balancing of stress hormones, neuromuscular regeneration, refueling of muscle glycogen supplies, repair of soft tissue through the inflammatory process, production of red blood cells and mental refreshment. All of these things require some complete recovery time to happen. Not all recovery is created equally. Below is a rundown on what you are trying to achieve in your different recovery blocks. First of all, complete recovery. Complete recovery is the lying on the couch doing nothing. This is the type of recovery that jumps into people's minds when they talk about recovery. Most athletes who are trying to balance work, family life and training do not have the luxury of this and their complete recovery becomes the removal of their training from their already busy day. Many people think full-time athletes are so much better because they've got lots of time to train. In fact, most people working a standard 9 to 5 would be able to cram in a similar training load around work i.e. training early mornings, at lunch times and in the evenings, but what they really miss is the time for complete recovery that full-time athletes get. The body has two nervous systems, the sympathetic fight or flight and the parasympathetic rest and digest. The sympathetic nervous system is activated in a general response whenever the body experiences stress. Whether that stress is from a hard training session or from a busy day at work, the body will respond in the same way. Complete recovery is critical for the body to balance out these two systems and bring the sympathetic size back under control. Active recovery. No doubt, most people have heard of the term active recovery. It refers to performing your specific sport at a low zone one training intensity, i.e an easy run, ride, swim or kayak. Many athletes feel that this type of training is a waste of time as you don't get breathless and sweaty. 
The aim of active recovery sessions is to help facilitate recovery through increasing blood flow, lymphatic drainage, maintaining range of movement and mental recovery. It is ideal to incorporate technique drills into these sessions as these are often performed at a low intensity and therefore works in well with active recovery sessions. The key thing with your active recovery session is that this is that you finish these sessions feeling fresh and wanting to do more. Always stop an active recovery session while you're ahead. If like 90% of the athletes out there and you train harder than prescribed during your active recovery sessions, you'll end up feeling tired and un unable to complete the important higher intensity training sessions that are required later in your training block. Recovery modalities. Other recovery modalities such as foam rolling, stretching, massage and water therapy all have their place in helping to facilitate recovery. These should be included in an athlete's program for optimal recovery results. Ideally, these should be integrated into your daily training as well as being part of your recovery day activities. Recovery days. Recovery days should be a combination of complete recovery mixed with some recovery modalities to help facilitate recovery. Typically, most athletes would have at least one complete recovery day per week. For athletes who are trying to balance a hectic work and family life with training, then these days are often just best taken as complete recovery as the inclusion of these additional recovery activities can add additional stress to the already stretched time. For those who have time on their recovery days, I would suggest a 30 to 45 minute focused session incorporating the different recovery modalities. I find athletes are more likely to perform these recovery modalities if they specifically go somewhere for this session. For example, rather than trying to complete a foam rolling and stretching session at home, where you will be sure to find something else to do instead or cut the session short, you could head down to the gym or go to your local pool to do a stretch in the spa or do a hydrotherapy session under some of the fountains that many pools have. The key thing to remember is that the aim of recovery days are allow only partial recovery. So, you, so do not be overly concerned if you don't feel 100% fresh following a recovery day. For more complete recovery, a recovery week should be used. Recovery weeks. Recovery weeks are periods in your training in which the training load is decreased by having shorter and or less intense training sessions to more fully allow the body to physically and mentally recover and adapt to the training you have been doing in your last loading cycle. Recovery weeks may vary from four to nine days depending on the athlete and the phase of training. Training over this time is made up of primarily active recovery sessions and should be kept at a low intensity with the duration significantly reduced to allow the recovery process to be effective. And then there's a video there that goes into more depth about structuring your recovery weeks and a link to that can be found in the Performance Temple Handbook over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website. Then there's also another video that covers 
how to structure your recovery days to maximize your sleep cycles. Sleep is a critical component of recovery and one that is often not considered or gets neglected. When we sleep, the body releases many key recovery hormones that help balance out the stress hormones that are released during training and the body goes through a reboot and reset process. Without adequate quality sleep, your body is fighting an uphill battle to recover from the training you are completing. There are a number of simple things that you can do to try and optimize your sleep. And I've talked about many of these in previous uh, podcast episodes. So that there is an introduction to the recovery pillar of the Performance Temple. To find out more in the extended Performance Temple Recovery Handbook, you'll learn how to maximize your recovery through nutrition, sleep, and how to monitor recovery. And you will find out if compression garments and ice baths are beneficial. And remember, you can get that extended Performance Temple Recovery Handbook for only $1 over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash PT package. If you can't remember that link, just head over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 47 and there'll be a link over to that there. So that is recovery. Next week we're going to be tackling the final pillar of the performance temple and that is psychology. But now we are going to talk about Strava. So Strava, if you've been living under a rock lately, you may not know what Strava is. Well, essentially Strava is a online social media site for endurance athletes. You upload your GPS and power and heart rate data to it, uh, and then people can see where you've been, what you've been up to, how much training you're doing, and then it also breaks down that, and it breaks it down into what are called segments. And then there's a leaderboard to see who's been the fastest over particular segments. Then if you're the fastest up a certain, a lot of them are climbs, a certain, a certain climb in your area, you can start clocking up KOMs, King of the Mountains, which are kind of like shiny virtual trophies that people place a lot of pride in. Strava also has another side, which is a really good side, uh, and it's about managing your training load and monitoring your training and recovery and your fitness and your freshness, kind of like training peaks. It's a good monitoring tool to control or have some sort of, or get some use out of all of the data that comes off these training devices. So it does have some good points in there as well. What I want to talk today about is the dark side of Strava segment hunting and people who get king of the mountain fever so to speak and i get this quite a lot and it's funny because i'll be reading through the at my athletes comments on training peaks and some of them will mention oh i got a little bit carried away today i got kom fever and just had to go and uh, I, i worked way too hard 
and then they may be tired the next day. So they've been out, they're, they're doing a ride or a run, whatever it might be, they come to a segment and they just have to go and ride or run as hard as they can to get this segment because ooh, they've just been slipping down the leaderboard a bit. So it can get a little, dang, I don't want to say dangerous, but it gets a little bit counterproductive. If every day you're going out there and just riding as hard as you can all of the time, or running as hard as you can all of the time, chasing these segments or KOMs, then it kind of defeats the purpose of a training program, first of all. Because with a training program, each of the training sessions have a specific goal in mind that lead to the overall bigger picture, whatever that might be. And don't get me wrong, some training needs to be hard. That is the point of some training. And I think Strava is really, really good when you're doing hard intervals or you've got a time trial or you're doing some really hard sustained climbs. Posting those sessions on Strava is awesome because it gives you that motivation to go out uh, and, and really push yourself. Getting that what is called social facilitation. And what that essentially means is that it was found out in the late 19th century by a psychologist that went through records of cycle races. And what they found is that cyclists who raced against competitors or a pacemaker were faster than cyclists who rode alone. So what we all know is that when other people are around, you push yourself harder. So Strava can be a useful tool for pushing yourself harder when you need to. But... You don't need to be out there pushing yourself hard all the time. We just talked about some classic examples of when you don't. During those active recovery sessions, you need to be going slow for the session to be benef beneficial. If you push harder, then it actually becomes counterproductive. You're not actually facilitating your recovery at all. You're adding another stress. The same thing when it comes to building your base, okay? You don't need to be out there pushing hard all of the time. Now Strava also puts a big emphasis on the more is better sort of philosophy. There are competitions within Strava of how many you know kilometers you ride within the week, within the month, over a set period of time, which is great for people who are just needing some motivation to get out there and exercise. Uh, and you know want to enjoy riding their bike or, or running or whatever it might be but when it comes to training training is the systematic use of exercise to improve sporting performance and when you're just going out and smashing yourself all the time or even tapering before you go out and hunt of some specific Strava, Strava segments and don't pretend like you haven't tapered before you go out and hunt for some Strava segments out there it becomes counterproductive to the overall training goal. So Strava fever can become a little bit of a problem. And if you do have a problem, feel free to contact me. I'm always here to support you in your struggle if you are struggling to deal with the pressures of Strava. And if you haven't seen Strava, get out there and, and, and check it out as well because it can be really good for motivating you, throwing up challenges through the, the darker, colder months of the year to get you out there on your bike, uh, get you out there running, and also it can be a useful monitoring tool if you aren't 
using uh, a monitoring tool at the moment, such as Training Peaks, Strava does have quite a good uh, monitoring system on there as well. So I guess that's all I've got to say about Strava segment hunting and, and Strava fever. Just be careful. Just be careful. And remember that keep the goal the goal. And don't get sidetracked by other things out there. It is nice to have your name on the leaderboard, um, but hopefully a name on uh, actual result sheets or achieving that goal that you have put in place is uh, more important to you or it gives you equally as much satisfaction. Too much time training or chasing Strava segments at that sort of threshold pace is going to leave you tired, stale, and potentially even lead to overtraining, which when you are preparing for a specific event is not ideal. Uh, on another note, uh, as I was doing a little bit of reading around Strava, Strava has a couple of lawsuits against them apparently. One person brought a lawsuit against Strava because they crashed into the back of a car when they were trying to uh, get a segment. Okay, they were riding so hard, they weren't looking where they are going, crashed into the back of the car, decided to take Strava to court, this is in America, believe it or not, and tried to sue Strava because they said it promoted unsafe cycling. Also, another person um, actually got charged for vehicular manslaughter after they hit... I think it was a 71-year-old elderly person and killed them while they were hunting for a Strava segment. Okay, They were so fixated on trying to get this Strava segment, they went through a red light, knocked this person over, they died. Uh, like, come on, seriously. What's going on with the world today? So, use Strava as a training tool, but don't get too carried away with it. If you want to get carried away with it, go for it. That's probably not ideal for your training in the long term. Definitely get out there and chase some KOMs and uh, definitely hunt some segments on those days where you need to push yourself harder. But make sure you've identified those days that you do need to push harder and potentially on those days where you need to dial things back and take it a bit easier. Maybe don't even upload those segments to Strava so that you're not tempted not peer pressured into smashing yourself. So there you have it. That is all for Strava segments. Let's take a look at fueling for a half marathon. Hey Matty, uh, Glenn Jelly here, South Otago. Uh, thanks for all your advice on podcasts so far great great listening and really taking it all on it's great stuff and also your training programs that um, you're offering are brilliant and helped me out heaps uh, i've recently taken up running and going for my first half marathon i was just after a bit of advice on fluid intake yeah i seem to struggle with getting the stitch if i have electrolyte drinks and prefer water I'm just wondering how much is recommended and also fueling what you would advise for running. It all seems to be a bit different to mountain biking, so any advice you can offer would be greatly appreciated. Cheers. Hey, Glenn, 
Cheers for your question, mate. Uh, and remember, if anyone else has got a question out there that they want me to answer, feel free to send it through. Just head over to exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask. Push the record button. Ask your question. Boom. I will answer it on the podcast the best that I can. Also, if you do send in a question via voice message, I will send you a free copy of the Performance Temple Handbook series. Okay, so you don't even have to pay the $4 to get it now. That won't be staying $4 forever, by the way. So, fueling for a half marathon. There's a few things that we need to think about here. First of all is how long it's going to take you. Because the body has approximately 90 minutes of stored carbohydrate energy in its muscles if you have tapered properly and have prepared yourself by eating some carbohydrate in the week leading up to the event. The body can store about 90 minutes. So if you are planning on running less than 90 minutes, then as long as you have a pre-race meal, potentially a little bit of a high carbohydrate snack before the race, you are probably going to be able to uh, race to your potential uh, throughout that without taking out any fuel. Now, if you are going to be close to the 19-minute mark, I'd say be safe rather than sorry and have a, a fueling plan in place. A couple of things that you pointed out there. What's the difference between mountain biking and running? You said that you don't usually get a stitch in mountain biking, but you are in running. There's not as much difference as you might think, but there are a few differences just based on the mechanics of the two sports. So a lot of people don't seem to have any problems with stomach issues or stitches or cramps when they are biking. But as soon as they start running, they start to get the stitch or cramp or or problems with their gut. And that is potentially because there's a lot of mechanical jiggling that happens when you run, and that is a scientific term, all right? The the intestines, the gut, is bouncing all around, jiggling around as you run. This can cause some issues, um, especially with the diaphragm as well, and how that is controlled with your breathing. Uh, and there's a lot of unknowns really down there. So what we can do is sort of give you some guidelines that will hopefully help reduce the chance of you getting stomach issues. So it's just kind of the same as biking. You want to aim for a carbohydrate intake of around 60 grams per hour. So about one gram per minute for optimal performance over that 19 minute mark. Now there is that difference in tolerance between running and biking. So if you find that 60 grams, that upper limit, is too much for you, then start dialing it back until you find a comfortable level. When it comes to race day, a lot of people will do this strategy. They'll say, I don't want to take anything in because I know it gives me the stitch. So what they do is they start off, they get about halfway through and they're like, oh no, I'm I'm still feeling good and still no stitch, stitch yet. And then they'll get a little bit on and they'll say, oh, I'm starting to feel really thirsty. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel low on energy. I'm going to stop at this aid station up here and have a drink and have something, some fuel, whether it be a gel or a drink or a bar or whatever it is. And then they have that drink and they have that gel or whatever it might be. 
and then all of a sudden they get the stitch and they go, oh, damn it. I knew I always get this stitch when I have something to eat. Now you see what's happened is that they're about half or three quarters of their way through their half marathon or their marathon and then they decide they need, need to have something. Well in that time all of the blood that is usually sent to the GI tract or the gut, the gastrointestinal tract, the stomach, the intestines, that sort of thing all of that blood has been redirected down to the working muscles because the body redirects the blood that's not being used in areas that it's not being used to areas that need it, such as the legs. So here's the stomach that doesn't have as much blood supply as usual. And then all of a sudden, boom, it needs to start working, but it doesn't have the blood supply to work efficiently. And that's when you start to cramp up and you get the stitch happening and you just don't feel very well at all. So rather than going through the abstaining from food and fluid until you really, really need it towards the end of the race, try the drip feeding method. And that you start taking small bits often. So whether you're going to run with a little drink bottle and have just little sips often, or you're going to have a couple of gels in a, in a gel flask bottle and have a few sips often, just so that you're drip feeding the engine. And what this does is it keeps the GI tract switched on, so to speak, so that it's always working at a low rate, so the body keeps blood going to the gut. That way, hopefully, you don't get these big stitches or cramps bloating, that sort of thing happening when you chuck a whole bunch down, you know, at the 18k mark when you're really starting to fade. So rather than waiting for that 90 minutes to finish, because a lot of people say, well, I've got 90 minutes worth of stored energy, I don't need to take anything on until the 90 minutes is up. Rather than that approach, try drip feeding the engine all the way through. Now, before we even get to race day, there's a few things that we can do as well. And that is all about training the gut. Believe it or not, the gut is very trainable, okay? And when I talk about the gut, I'm talking about the stomach, the intestines, the absorption of stuff from it. Now, I talked about this quite extensively in episode five of the podcast, way back in episode five. But what I'll do is I'll cover some key points here. So potentially one of the reasons that you are getting stomach issues while you're running and trying to fuel is because your gut just isn't trained for it. Sure, you may cope all right when you're cycling, but when you get that mechanical jiggling, body just doesn't like it. So what are some methods you could use to train your gut? Well, what you could do is you could go out training and consume relatively large volumes of fluid, whether that be electrolyte drink or water. So you chuck some you know, fluid in the stomach and go out and run. It's gonna feel relatively uncomfortable potentially, but what it'll do is it'll help the body get better at gastric emptying and managing that fluid in your stomach. So that when you're actually at race day and you're using the drip feeding method rather than the large volume method, the stomach's like, oh man, I can deal with this. Usually I have large volumes in there. 
The other thing you could do as well is hit out training immediately after a meal. Again, what it is doing is it's just getting the stomach and the gut better at handling large volumes of food and fluid. Again, you'd never want to go and do this on race day, but it's preparing the gut for when you have that drip feeding method. It's like, hey, I can deal with this. I've dealt with much worse previously. The other things we can do is rather than just having a meal, we can go try higher concentrations of carbohydrate. So mix up a carbohydrate drink or carbohydrate gels. And what this actually trains your gut to do is to become better at absorbing carbohydrates. So if you give more carbohydrate into your stomach, it actually improves its ability to absorb it. Now another method that you can do, and I'd highly recommend it, is once you have got your race nutrition nailed down, whatever that might be, then I would highly recommend that you get out there and you simulate your race nutrition plan in a long rather intense training run just to make sure you've got everything dialed in you've ticked all the boxes so that on race day there's no surprises you know exactly what you're going to be eating you know exactly what you're going to be drinking you know how often you're going to be do it and you've done it all before now if you are going to rely on the nutrition that's provided out on the course then make sure you had do a bit of research find out what they're going to be providing and then go and trial it before the race. The last thing you want to do is get to an aid station and they've got stuff there that you've never tried before and you don't like it or it makes you feel sick or whatever it might be. I personally don't really like relying on aid stations slash a lot of the events that I do don't have aid stations, but I usually like to make sure that I've got everything that I need. I'll rely on the aid stations for water but that would be about it. Make sure that I've got everything else on me. And in the case of a half marathon, you're not gonna need a ton of stuff. Maybe it's a couple of gels and a little flask. Maybe it's a little drink bottle with some water if the aid stations are really far apart, but usually they are pretty good. So hopefully, Glenn, that helps out with your stomach issues. Give some of those things a try. Let me know how they go and make all the best with your upcoming half marathon. I look forward to hearing how it goes. So there you have it team. Episode 47 of the Exponential Performance Podcast done. Just remember for any of the resources that I mentioned, check out the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash 47 If you have any questions at all, let me know. If you don't mind the questions being answered on the podcast, post a comment below whatever platform you're listening to this on. Hit me a message over on Instagram or Facebook or on the email. Or it would be great to hear from you via a voice message over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com slash ask. If you have a question that you want me to answer privately you can do that over at reach me at my reach me account that there is a really easy way to get some high quality training advice for a very small fee 
make sure you subscribe whatever platform you are listening on hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date with everything that is going on or come over to facebook or instagram to continue the conversation over there until next time get out there train hard but most importantly train smart Thank you.